Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Connects Podcast. This week, we talk about the challenges of designing industrial IoT systems for scale, for now and for the future. We'll also discuss some of the features of Connect 6 and how they apply to large-scale connectivity. Rajiv and Fernando, thanks for joining us. Hi, welcome to RTI Connects podcast. Today's topic is designing industrial IoT systems for scale and a preview of Connect 6 coming out soon. Uh, my name is Sumit Chandrakar. I'm on the professional services team here at RTI. With me are Rajiv Joshi from our professional services team and Fernando Crespo Sanchez from a product architect on our research and development team. Rajiv, can you give us a little bit about your background and what your role is on the, on the services team? Oh, absolutely. So uh, I'm the principal solution architect in the services team. I've been with RTI for about 22 years. Um, I've been uh, part of the product team, part of our research team, and then over the last 10 or so years, I've been in the field working with our customers. Um, and that's largely what we do in our professional services team, uh, from uh, onboardings to uh, product trainings to helping with architecture and design, and even taking on pieces of uh, the solution and, and, and building it out for the customer. So really, the focus of the uh, professional services team is customer success, and that's, that's what uh, gets me excited is working with our customers. Uh, I do have another hat. I also represent RTI at the Industrial Internet Consortium. And there I chair the connectivity task group and also the automotive task group. And so I led the development of the Industrial Internet Connectivity Framework or the IICF that, that some of you might have heard of. It's available from the IIC website. Fernando? Yeah, so I, I think mine is going to be more simple than that. So I have been with the R&D team uh, for about 14 years now. Uh, so I just uh, grew up in Spain. I just moved to, to the U.S. I think it was a great uh, kind of professional opportunity. And currently, I started to work with the middleware, Connect CDS, right away. And currently, I'm a product architect uh, for Connect uh, DDS Pro. Um, and uh, have been doing that for, for a few years already. I think we have a great mix here because we have someone who's representing a lot of customer work and someone who's representing the product team. And we'll get a chance to see how these two marry together. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely, yeah. Thanks. First question right off the bat, when you're building these large IIoT systems, like for healthcare, say patient monitoring, or hydropower and dams, like a Grand Coulee, uh, oil and gas systems, autonomous systems, what are the first things from a technology standpoint that you should consider for your system? Rajiv, I'll start with you. Uh, sure. So, you know, one of the things uh, that we see common across all of these systems is that um, if there's a failure, there's loss of life or property, usually both, uh, especially when you start talking about healthcare or autonomous driving um, and, and even, uh, you know, power and, and oil and gas. You know, these are all systems where failure is not an option. And the second thing uh, to note about these systems is that the right information, the right data delivered too late becomes the wrong answer. Right? So there are also systems where data delivery and timeliness of data delivery is critical. Um, so you know, that changes the way you have to approach the design. So you care about performance. Um, also, these systems involve a lot of different things, different data objects, different uh, complex information flows. So scalability is another big concern uh, that shows up. Um, and of course, you know, you don't uh, want anybody to be able to get into these systems. So security is another big concern. Um, safety, uh, which refers to really the impact on humans, uh, you know, again, obviously this is a big concern. So all of these are big concerns. And finally, um, when you're starting to build these systems and they have complex data flows, there are many different teams involved. So um, you have to be able to 
provide a solid foundation that allows you to build an architecture in which multiple teams can independently develop and participate and allow you to build uh, build a solution that will actually come together nicely. So, so it's, a, it's a lot of different things you described. Where do you start? Um, well, um, so, so really, uh, you know, we start by thinking about uh, information models and data, right? Because that is something that tends to be more constant uh, over the life cycle of a system. Uh, the data models are, are relatively the stable pieces, whereas different components that you might add to an architecture may change over time as you think of new ways of doing things, as you think of new techniques, as you think of new capability that you may want to add. So, um, so we uh, like to think of it as think of the data architecture, build the data architecture right, and then you can create components around it. And so this is where the data bus concept comes in. And this is what you know, we call Connects Data Bus, where uh, it, you know, uh, building around the data architecture in a data-centric fashion allows uh, folks to build systems that are scalable, that are modular in terms of the software architecture. And then because the Connects Data Bus is designed for real-time, time-critical applications, and you know, you'll see that, uh, as you know, I think folks would know, it's being used in a lot of applications and systems of this kind. You know, it's designed to be reliable and, and be real-time. So it's a little different than what you normally hear, which is things like object-oriented interfaces. You're talking about data as your interface. Absolutely. Is that, how do you approach that subject with customers since you spend so much time with them on-site, helping them to try to architect these things out? Right. So, so you know, typically we we start with with uh, with thinking about the data models um, and the data flows in the system, and we start to define data oriented interfaces for the different components. And for, and once we have that and we can create that, we can then use that as the foundation for allowing different teams to participate. But because we are starting with the data architecture, we also have. Um, the process and the and the method to uh, be able to integrate all the components using the data bus. Okay. Um, so, what are the major challenges that developers, systems architects face? I mean, you've mentioned scalability, security, safety. How is it different now with the data bus in play? Right. So, I think I think it's difficult to design this system. The problem is that there are so many things to consider when it comes to to these large systems, right? So, so these are systems that, as as Rajiv mentioned before, so in which you have hundreds of nodes and you have data, different kind of data. You have large and small data, historical and real-time data, confidential and non-confidential. Security is also uh, something to consider in this kind of system. Mobility, I think you can move components from one place to another. You can lose network connectivity. So it's just kind of difficult just to consider everything at once. I mean, when you're designing uh, one of these systems, and this is where the data bus comes into place, um, so the data bus is going to hide some of these complexities, and this is what RTI we do here at RTI. So we are going to hide some of this complexity to people so that I think they just worry about the data itself, defining those data models and the data that they want to exchange, and not so much about this other aspect like scalability, uh, security, and so on. So so we want to hide that, that complexity, and this is where kind of the data bus uh, comes into place, and this is kind of what we all absolutely right so yeah. so component designers you know and architects they can focus on really just the data io what i produce and what i consume um, and define that in terms of you know structured data types that you would normally use as an application programmer so 
um, you know, it gives you an interface that's very natural for the system, you know, the, the application developers, the component developers, but at the same time, it is defined using uh, artifacts such as IDL and XML. So what does IDL they, stand for? IDL stands for Interface Definition Language. Uh, so, um, so you can actually version control those things. You can put them in your uh, system uh, as part of system artifacts, and you can also evolve them over time. Right. And that leads us to the concept of uh, uh, what we call extensible types and, 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 uh, and, and data type evolution. So these interfaces can evolve over time. Now, as Fernando said, you know you are building uh, uh, around these interfaces, and the data bus really takes care of making sure that the right data gets to the right place at the right time. So it's handling essentially the requirements for uh, timeliness uh, and for scalability and resilience and fault tolerance and security right. and so on. And the job of the architect is really then to just configure the interfaces correctly and configure the data bus correctly, and and not have to worry about sort of the low level details of data distribution. Right, right. So, so, and it's, it's a completely different paradigm if you want to to look at it that way, um, in which you approach uh, system design. So, so here you just have to consider. So it's all about the data, right? So, um, so data bus need to be aware. To be able to scale and to be able to meet all these requirements, the data bus need to be a, need to be able to be aware of the data. Okay, so what is the content of the data? So you need to know about the data. This is what we call data centricity. Well, so um, we've been yeah. you know, a lot of what you're talking about sounds very similar to conversations people have when they're talking about databases and how to use a database. But the difference here is we're talking about data in motion. Absolutely. There's no data exactly. at rest. And so we're using this term data bus to reflect that aspect. Can you define what a data bus is? Just so we're all on the same page here. Um, sure. Um, so, you know, the, the word data bus, you can think of this as a, as a play on the word database, right? And, and in both, uh, when you start thinking of a data bus, you essentially apply the same mindset as uh, when you would apply for, for databases uh, but except databases are about data at, uh, at rest and data bus is about data in motion. Mm -hmm. And databases are about essentially searching past historical data versus a data bus is about essentially creating filters for future data. So, um, uh, and if you step back, what's, what's common across these data-centric approaches is the data itself is an interface to the components. Uh, uh, and uh, the infrastructure, in the case of a data bus, is infrastructure like the Connects data bus, in the case of a database, is the database implementation essentially is configured using rules and it maintains essentially the integrity of the data and in the case of a data bus, getting the right data to the right place right. at the right so time. It, it takes care of sending data from point A to point B with the requirements that the user has, including scalability. I just mentioned it again because it's kind of one of the first problems that people face mm -hmm. I mean, when designing this kind of system from, from scratch or even when, when they... Um, want to migrate, for instance, a custom solution or a system, a system that they already have into something that is going to allow them to position themselves uh, for the future, right? Um, okay, so that, I guess that brings us to, you've mentioned a couple of times, you mentioned to the RTI Connects data bus. We've just announced Connect 6, and uh, if you want to hear more details about it, Podcast 28 with Bob Lee has an introduction to Connect 6. But can you talk about new features and capabilities we've added that are going to help address some of these problems that you've described for people who are trying to build these large scalable systems? I think one of the one of the key things that um, um, so we are addressing. So what we have identified that to be able this this kind of system, so you need something called layer architecture. Uh, it's something that Rajiv is very familiar with. Um, 
as uh, is the architecture uh, proposed. Rajiv, for now, talking about the layered data bus architecture right. from the IAC. Yeah, yeah. So this is something. If uh, you know, this is something uh, that has been. Uh, identified also at the IIC. IIC is the Industrial Correct. Internet Consortium as part of the IRA, which is the Industrial Internet Reference Architecture. So a lot of acronyms there. But if you go to the IICconsortium.org, you can download all these documents from there. Um, so there's the IRA and then the IICF, Industrial Internet Connectivity Framework, and they kind of work. Uh, and then there's also the Industrial Internet Security Framework. And really the data layered data bus architecture is a core idea where um, you know, you can build essentially a local uh, data bus, which is basically a local plane of communication. Um, and can you give an example? For example, uh, uh, from know, autonomous systems. Uh, yeah, I might I might pick an example for for uh, from autonomous vehicles, since that's sort of an area that a lot of folks are interested in. So uh, you might have a vehicle data bus that's essentially uh, the autonomous drive system of a vehicle. Um, it might itself have components for you know that may be doing planning and decision making and and uh, navigation and control and so on um, and and sensing uh, and we'll come to the sensing part in a little bit because you know there are some features that are particularly uh, relevant to uh, uh, large data that are new in Connect Six. Uh, but now, you know, this vehicle is a self-contained thing and you don't want essentially all the information inside the vehicle, especially, you know, when you have lidars and cameras and all that real-time data uh, moving on that data bus, um, you know, being shared outside the vehicle. Yet there are some relevant attributes you want to share. For example, what is my vehicle position? What is my speed? You know, where am I heading? So there are... So there's a subset of that data that, that you indeed want to share, for example, with backend systems and possibly with other vehicles as well. So... Uh, and other vehicles would have a local da vehicle data bus inside as well. And maybe in the back end, in your cloud side, you might have a data bus. So this notion of layering is uh, essentially taking one data bus and then, you know, rolling up some of that information and using essentially a data bus gateway as, uh, as a, an adapter or a bridge to uh, another data bus. And so you can roll up information. And uh, Connect DDS, again, is designed so that you can have uh, only the right data that is of interest uh, streamed through uh, these data bus gateways. Right. So, so it would be, yeah, yeah, it would be impossible to think of these kind of systems as a flooding out uh, sort system, of like you right? have one so single layer where, where network. You have to yeah, have you different share, levels you of share networking. You share the data with everybody. Everybody see all the data. So there must be some kind of it's what Rajiv was indicating before to scale. So you need to be able to isolate and to route this, the data smartly. Right, and uh, the way they do that, so Rajiv mentioning, so uh, so there is a key component in this kind of system that is called um, the gateway component. And for us at RTI, I mean that component is called routing service, and it's it's, it's a product that that we. Yeah, this is the one that in the IIC documents is called right. the data bus gateway. In the RTI connects, right. it's called the routing service. Well, and actually, maybe for now you can talk about it. You have a lot of experience and familiarity with one of our largest healthcare use cases. They make heavy use of this notion of a layered data bus architecture. Mm -hmm. I don't know how many endpoints they have, how many patients they're actually monitoring, but they make use of routing service quite a bit. Can you describe a little bit about that use case? Yeah, I think the use case is, is essentially it's a patient monitoring system where you have tons of devices, I mean, producing data about patient, and you need to be able to access that data. I think that data may have to be accessed by doctors that are monitoring the patient, but they, that data may have to be stored as well because you need to access um, the data um, uh, offline or later on, that data may have to go into the cloud. So, so there are a lot of subscribers for that kind of data that is produced in this system. And it's not a small amount of data. So just imagine that it could be hospitals and network of hospitals and, and so on. So now the, the um, so for this kind of use cases, the layer architecture is kind of 
the architecture is, is, is kind of very suitable for these use cases because you have a component that we call routing service or the gateway that is going to do the smart routing. So this in this kind of system, you produce a lot of data, but you only have a small set of subscribers trying to access the information that is producing the system, right? So you have to be smart. You cannot broadcast and send all the data into the system because I think you will take the system down mm -hmm. pretty much. I mean, there will be tons of problems. So, so what routing service does is, is just similar to a router, to an IP router, but it just does it based on the content of the data. That's so, interesting. The so the data is the interface exactly. for everything. So the, data, the, the, the key piece here is that uh, routing service and, and, and the data bus and the middleware uh, that is providing access to that data bus is data aware. So let's let's take a case uh, as an example. So let's assume that we have to uh, we have a patient, right? And and we are monitoring that patient. And that patient we are publishing temperature, for instance. Okay. And you have a subscriber at some point. It could be a doctor in the system that that wants to be notified. I mean, when the temperature goes above certain uh, degrees. I mean, how do you do that? So you cannot publish every temperature reading into the system. You cannot put it into the system because you pretty much you will flood the network. I mean, when you, especially when you have hundreds of patients and hundreds of sensors and different measurements that you can take. So what routing service does is, is essentially just uh, allow a subscriber to connect into the system, allow a subscriber to specify the set of interest. So me as a subscriber, let's say that I'm the doctor. I mean, usually you do it. Um, with a with a with an iPad or some kind of handheld device. So me as a subscriber, I'm going to say, well, I want the data for this patient with this temperature. So so you specify that through something that we call a filter expression. Mm -hmm. So just expression that tells the data bus what you want, right? So what routing service is going to do, the gateway is going to do, is just to take that information and use that knowledge, okay, just to know that it has to provide you the data. So you're not you're not telling the sort you're not telling the patient, hey, I need this only if it's above a certain temperature. You're saying, infrastructure, tell me whenever the data has it Correct. above this, to make sure I get it. Correct. And that way, so the data is just sent only where it has to be sent. And this okay. is what is key about this kind of architecture, right? Well, and I think what's important about that use case that you just mentioned is it touches on a lot of things you talked about at the beginning, which were security, safety. Absolutely. timeliness, time yep. value of data, right? If you talk about this for a second with a patient, it sounds like something people have done in the past, but if you wait five seconds, there's a delay on the data. Right. Obviously, that if a patient's right. in a critical case, that may be too late. Um, if you, you have to expand, you have to make sure it's protected that no one finds out information about who that patient is. And uh, for a lot of people in the software world, it's just a matter of, you know, move fast and break things, but you really can't move fast in this world. This is life critical, so there's no chance to change things. So you have to kind of make sure you are very clear and know your capabilities. Right. And there's also some interesting situations, use cases that really a data bus is really very well suited for. For instance, you know, you might you might you might find that this temperature, you know, this patient is showing some symptoms. Um, that and then you want to roll back and say, I want to monitor the last five minutes or the last 10 minutes of what was really happening because I'm detecting an anomaly now. I want to see what was going on with this patient 10 minutes ago. And I want that historical data. So again, with Connect 6, we have some new capabilities. We call them topic queries that allow you to essentially uh, ask the data bus, hey, give me that historical data. And as an application developer, you're not really doing anything uh, different. You are simply just offering that data on the data bus. So again, this is a good example of where the infrastructure is smart enough to know that you know it has been given this data and it can handle that data uh, smartly and just get that 
as I said in the beginning, okay. getting the right data to the right place at the right time. So, Fernando, you talked about routing service and how it was used in the in the healthcare use case. Can you talk a little about new features in Connect Six with routing service that are going to help make that use case even easier or help make that use case happen? Things like the yeah the multi input output, etc. Right. No, I think, in fact, I'm really excited about these these new capabilities that we are doing. Uh, we're introducing with routing service. So, in essence, so uh, we are kind of providing a whole new product, okay, with a whole new set of capabilities. Uh, and it's kind of based on infrastructure that was already there, okay? So it's not something that we have written from scratch. So I think those, those uh, the, the core of the infrastructure, the core of routing service was already present into the product. But uh, one of the things that the gateway does is just to route information. It's just to route information from point in between domains or from point A to point B, mm -hmm. right? And to route information, you need to define routes. And usually routes have, uh, used to be the case, where routes have a single input and a single output. So for instance, I could route information from a room where I have a patient into uh, the administration floor of the hospital, okay? Or a different room where I'm going to have a doctor. So I could route information, I will define my route one-to-one okay. uh, -one to do that, okay? But one-to-one -one routes, okay, are not scalable and are not sufficient for this kind of systems, okay? So you have to be able to do a larger fan out if you want to from the same information. So if I produce a temperature reading, okay, and I have a one-to-one -one route, I can send that only to one domain. Of course, a domain can contain multiple subscribers. But what if I want to take that same reading and just store it into a database, into that is running in a different part of my system, right? So in essence, so we are dealing with the same piece of data mm -hmm. and we want to make sure that that same piece of data is just sent to two different places. So this is what we call one-to-end routes. So these are routes where you can have a single input, a single piece of data that goes to different places. So it's a little bit similar to multicast, if you think, of think it about way, yeah. it, but kind of at this gateway uh, level. So mapping the, the notion of, we actually continue this network analogy we talked about, you can't really have a single layer two network. You need to have switches and routers in your network to produce scalability, same way with a layer data bus. Absolutely. Now we're talking to a routing service, which can have more of a multicast-like mm -hmm. capability. Um, we won't talk about broadcast, that doesn't make sense here, but a multicast-like capability. And then we also are introducing things like more logic inside a routing service that help manipulate the data Correct. if necessary. So you can also, as the data flow through the route, so you can also transform the data. So you can also, uh, for instance, you could filter some set of data that you don't want to, to send to the other side. Mm -hmm. right? So it's kind of also a security gateway on that sense. Uh, so we are providing a whole, and, and these are transformations, these transformations that you can do with the data, is, they are transformations that you can write as a user, okay? And uh, so we are kind of providing a whole new SDK to do these kind of things, and we call it the Processor API SDK, and it's much more powerful than what we used to have in the past. And um, in addition to that, I think we are also, it is very important if you have a gateway component, debuggability and how to debug this, this mm -hmm. piece of software is key for us. And it's, it's key when you have a big system, right? Because it could become pretty complicated. So we are also introducing a new way to monitor uh, this component. And it's kind of a way to monitor the component that is not as intrusive as what we used to do in the past. So, so if you try to monitor something, you better don't inject in the system more data that is going to make it um, okay. more worse. Okay. So let's keep going on the, on the theme of Connect 6 now. 
Um, one of the, the the biggest focus areas for the next product release is this large data use case you mentioned, Richard, yeah. particularly the autonomous vehicle use case. Um, let's talk about that large data. Uh, can you talk about the new flat data and enhanced shared memory that our capabilities are being introduced? Yeah, into absolutely. So one of the things, you know, as we've been working with uh, customers um, in the autonomous vehicle space, and also we are seeing this in, in imaging uh, systems that show up in healthcare, uh, but all these different applications that are popping up where you have, um, you know, cameras that are capturing high fidelity images, uh, you know, LIDAR data and other sort of, you know, sources of information where, and you're trying to do fusion. For example, in an autonomous system, autonomous vehicle system, you would be fusing information from a number of different such data sources. Um, and oftentimes all of this is coming into the same, um, same, uh, 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 processor or same system, which is a multi-core system. It's usually resourced well with memory. You have multiple sensors connected, but you still want to preserve this notion of a model or software architecture. And you want to still build a component-based software architecture where you want to build on the abstraction of data interfaces. Um, so when you start doing that, you know how does that abstraction, which makes it easy to have multiple teams and maintain software and have the ability to, to be able to deploy that architecture uh, you know, one way in research and another way in production uh, give you sort of the performance you need. Uh, for example, you know, if I have to share, you know, an image from one component to another, you know, am I going to make copies? And how many copies am I going to make? Because the number of copies that I make uh, affects the latency of so the system. So let's take a use case for a second here to make yeah. it a little bit more concrete, right? Yeah. You mentioned LiDAR. LiDAR is taking basically an, an image, a laser-based image, every period and that period can be what i don't some number of milliseconds where the scan rate is and the amount of data per scan is something like on the orders of megabytes of data and we're talking about moving megabytes of data through a system now usually this is a single board computer so it might be moving through multiple processes on that board much have multiple nodes multiple socs Um, but now we're talking about how do you move that efficiently because microseconds milliseconds matter we're talking about the sense, percept, act kind of cycle. And Absolutely. we want to make sure everything is processed within well-defined time bounds. That's the safety part and security Absolutely. and, and uh, criticality part of it. So now we're, what you're saying is being able to move that data through is something you could do in the past with the product. But what we've done is really make that use case that much better. Exactly. So what we've done is we have cut down on the amount of time essentially by uh, order of magnitude. Um, uh, and the larger it is, you know, the bigger the improvement. Uh, so the bigger the image, the bigger, and and really, um, you know, the way you know the, we are calling this advanced shared memory uh, transport. Essentially, it essentially gives you a constant time uh, way of sharing uh, very large images and very large data uh, segments. I'll leave it at that for now. Um, so this is some some new uh, technology. We've got some patents around it. You know. Um, and, yeah, this is this is key. One of the things that yeah. you mentioned, constant time is key because I think there you have your scalability thing for large data, right? So, so this is this is really important. So the time just to send the data is not going to increase. Let's put it away with the data size, right? So it's going to be, and for that we have right. to address the copy yeah. the copy problems. Right. But and and the one we're talking about right now is particularly for in Europe. Everything is on a on a single board, so you can right. pass things through shared memory. They do have a memory region that they can all access right. to. But now sometimes that data does have to go off board. Right. Let's right. go to some other node in your system, and we have things like flat data. So Fernando, can you tell us a little bit about flat data? How that helps? Yes. Yeah, so case? flat data. Um, 
So flat data is kind of a new language binding that we are, think of the language binding as uh, 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 Rajiv mentioned it before, IDL is the way you describe your data with EDS, right? So it's, it's an interface definition language similar to, to the way you will do it in C, right? Or C++. Um, so with traditional language binding, the memory representation of the data is not the same than the wire representation. Okay. So, so there is a translation that needs to happen in the middle that we call serialization. Some people are more familiar with the name marshalling. With like going to JSON, right? using XML, exactly. things like so, that. So okay. there's a transformation that needs to happen in the middle just to take that data that is in memory representation and convert it into, in this case, into a buffer, into a serialized uh, array of bytes, right? So, so that representation takes a copy, right? So you have to copy the data. When the data is really large, that takes time, and that time increases with the size of the data. So what we have done is to coalesce these two things together. Okay. So we are going to have, with flat data, so we are going to have, or you're going to have the option as a user to use a language binding in which the memory representation of the data is exactly the same representation that you have on the wire. Uh, so what you're really doing when you populate your sample, when you populate your piece of data, is to populate the buffer as well that you're going to send on the wire. So there is no cost on serializing or, or, or marshalling, and, and also on the I other see. side, the serializing or demarshalling. Uh, de so that, that technology where we're talking about enhanced shared memory and the flat data, they kind of fit nicely with each other because the first step is actually storing things in an efficient way such that you don't pay that cost of serialization, deserialization. And then the next saving comes from how you distribute that, whether it's over the network or whether that's over shared memory, and you get optimizations therein. But anybody can have access to those capabilities as needed. Yep, yep, absolutely. And one, yep. one nice thing to mention as well is that I think we also, it is also important when you have all these capabilities that they integrate nicely with the rest of the ecosystem, mm -hmm. right, and the platform. Uh, so be, uh, these large data features that we're talking about, so they are going to work as well, for instance, with things uh, with, the, with the gateway component as well, with routing service. So routing service is going to be able to kind of to access the data um, uh, using this, this kind of So it just continues that yeah, it's right. really about getting it onto the data bus and then anything on the data bus can yeah. take it. So, so essentially, again, it's, it's a bit going back to the same idea of the data bus where the infrastructure is now further optimized, which is mm -hmm. the data bus, in, in taking care of the data delivery. From, so from an abstraction point of view, it's, it's still a data-oriented abstraction uh, for your developers. But now, you know, the data bus is so much faster and so much more optimized. And, you know, now you don't no longer have the issue of, uh, you know, as your data gets larger, it takes longer to get it to some place because now it, it can optimize that as well uh, okay. to, the, to the limit that is possible or feasible within the constraints of the network. And we should point out that this is, as we mentioned, the data bus, which means right. things like our pro product and our micro product are both going to have support for this capability, yes. which means if you're mixing systems together, like you might have micro running in a particular node and pro running another one, they will be able to work together. Right, right. And micro is, is for resource constrained, and that's basically the basis for safety certifiable systems which again is something we are seeing with autonomous driving as well as in the medical space. Yeah, and not only that also, it's not only micro and pro, but it's yeah. also our tools. Oh, um, right, yes. Our tools will be able to also to access that data. Okay, so we've talked a lot about now data flow. Let's talk about the data interface itself. Um, one of the bigger things that is in Connect6 is a, is a refresh or maybe an update in addition to X-Types and the X-Type specification, which comes from our standards body, which governs the DDS specification itself, the OMG. Can you talk a little bit about what's new with X-Types in Connect6 and why is it so important? 
Okay. Yeah, so X types is, is really uh, about, you know, X types um, stands for extensible types. And basically, it governs how you define your data types or data models and how you uh, can evolve them over time. Okay. So there's, um, there's a notion of type extensibility in X type specification where you can, uh, you can define a type such that you can uh, create derived types. Um, there's the notion of an appendable type. Such that where you have a you have a data type which can con which contains members, the members themselves can be extended over time, and then this this container type can also be extended. So that's and that's that's a new concept. And, the, and this is sort of reflecting the reality that a lot of these large scale systems you can't change everything. Exactly, right? you can only change pieces, right. and you want to maintain right. you want to add new functionality, but you can't necessarily replace everything. So right. you want Right. Sometimes you cannot even stop. It's not about right. replacing. Good point. It's you can't even stop in the, right. the, the system. You can unplug so the patient to, for a while. Yeah, and then, right. Right. So you these systems to... are nonstop. You know, they are operational systems. Um, and, and uh, you know, you might have deployed or shipped something with version one of the interface. And now maybe you introduce a new update. Maybe you do a software update. Maybe you ship a new device or you ship a replacement hardware. And that has a newer version of the software, right? Uh, and of course, uh, you know, you want this to be able to work seamlessly with the version you might have deployed previously, right? So how do you achieve that? That's really the problem that extensible types are solving. And so what I started to describe was the different ways in which your data types can evolve. You know, you have some, you know it also has support for when your data types can uh, have new members added or removed. That's called mutable types. So there's a number of things in the X types specification that allows you to actually manage. And this is all coming from real world use cases where we are seeing, uh, you know, people have these requirements. Some of these systems have shelf lives. You know, you know, you might have cards or you know some inventory you might have shipped, and that might be sitting on a shelf for ten years. And you might have shipped newer versions. So again, you know, the problem goes the other way as well, where you might be plugging in some some something you get from the inventory and, and plug into a system, it should interoperate, right? So um, so this is solving a very real, very practical problem in these type of systems, which are nonstop, which are operational, they have long sort of lifetimes and uh, things change over time. And beyond, beyond the, functionally, yeah. uh, the, the functionality that yeah. uh, Rajiv that just described, so X-Type is a concept, of, well, it's, it's a specification that we have been supporting in the product for a long time mm -hmm. already. Uh, so I think it was introduced in Connexity S5.0, right? So as a capability, users have been able to take advantage of that. In fact, it's, it's kind of one of the key differentiators with respect to other middleware technologies is being able to evolve your system without necessarily stopping components and so on. Now, what we have, doing, what, what we have done or we are going to be doing in Connect 6 is just to pay a little bit more attention to the overhead of having that capability in place, right? So what is the overhead? So what is, going, what is that going to cost us, right? And um, so we are doing it just by making much more efficient Okay, the wide representation of that of that information that you need just to evolve your system. So to make so, it even more compact right. and more efficient. So okay. you want to support different versions of a type. So you have you cannot do that for free. So you have to add some kind of metadata mm -hmm. that goes along with the data on the wire just to indicate that. Okay, so that's what Rajiv mentioned before as mutable type, right? So what we are doing in Connect Six and what is described in the latest extensible type specification 1.2 is just to make more efficient the way we do that. Okay, so it's going to take less bytes to do the same thing, right? Um, and, um, yeah, and so it's important to note that those optimizations are really, you know, also in the spec itself, right? They are coming. So it, it also 
gives Correct. you the interoperability that's important in these type of systems. Right, so uh, with other DDS implementations with, that may be out there. And between different versions of RTI implementations right. and across, you know, RTI Pro, you know, Connects Pro and Micro and, and so on over periods of time. Right, uh, and they, those are both important aspects. So, so some of the things right. are part of the spec, right. and some of the things are kind of RTI capabilities. Things mm -hmm. that I think are not necessary. I mean, they are not; they do not affect interoperability, but they will affect performance. So, uh, one of the use cases that it was mentioned before that is uh, how to send officially lidar data, right? So, lidar data is usually just simple structures with doubles, doubles of floats. So, how do you do that officially? So, we are kind of introducing new capabilities in the product that are going to speed up the way we marshal and demarshal that data by hundreds of hundreds of times. So so that's kind of um, a key important capability that is going to be part of Connect Yes. So uh, besides yes. besides the extensibility, so there's um, extensibility, mutability, what are these other things that are coming in the X type spec that are not going to be in Connect Six? So the annotations yeah. that we're going to support now, can you describe them? Yeah, so the we'll, we are going to provide in addition to, to the performance improvements and uh, so we are going to provide new annotations. Annotations are just um, attributes that you can associate with a type, right? So like, for instance, uh, it could units, be the minimum, yeah. the maximum unit. So yeah. all these kind of annotations are going to be supported. And these go in the IDO, right? And this will, the IDO. This will go into the So what are IDO. some of the annotations that are going to be coming that are... Some of the ones that our customers have been asking for a long right. time, yeah. you know, are things like units. Units. Okay, right. so what does that mean in this case? Um, for instance, you know, if I, uh, if I have a data type, you know, let's take the shapes type that uh, I think most most people uh, might have seen. You know, I have a shape. I'm describing it by its color. Color identifies the data object. I might have a position X. I might have a position Y. I might have a size. Well, what are the units of X? Right. Right. Is it centimeters? centimeters? Is it in inches? Right. Who knows? So, so, yeah. so, right. And that is important as we start to think of semantics and think of semantic inter interoperability. So DDS, and again, I'm referencing the connectivity framework from the IIC, the IICF, is, is essentially a, uh, is a connectivity framework in, in the way it's described in that document, and it provides syntactic interoperability. The next level of interop is, is semantics. So you need these kind of... Um, so, uh, so if I have two different so, units, for example, right. if, I, if I have... A Two applications built with the same type yes. but different units. What happens on the wire? What happens in, when I run my system? Ranges is another important one. Okay. So you know, uh, you know, does you know what is the range effects? Does it go from zero to a hundred, or does it go from minus hundred to a plus hundred? Right. Um, you know, if it's in Fahrenheit, it might be from minus thirty-two to you know. Um, you know, uh, if it's uh, Celsius, it might start at zero. Right. So again, depends on. You know the units and the ranges are are interrelated. Um, then there's what is the default value? So ex extensible types um, has this notion of um, uh, optional members as well. Mm -hmm. So we are supporting that. And uh, as you define a data type and you have an optional member, what you know what happens um, if it's not specified? So those are default values, and and you want to be able to specify that. So those are all. New things that are coming in okay. and connects. Kind of reminds me. I'm not an Ada developer, but you know, Ada has a similar type of syntax that lets you specify. And, and why people like Ada is because it has that enforcement built into the language. Yes. Where if you put a range, it'll say this is outside and raise an exception. So it sounds like we're doing we something similar. That. We will enforce that. So if, if you yeah. go out of range, if you try mm -hmm. to publish a piece of data just to put on the network a piece of data that has a value that is above the maximum, so so the the, the, the right operation is going to fail, I will tell you that it cannot serialize. Because so the safety mechanism now is an additional safety mechanism mm -hmm, that right. you define through your data itself versus anything that the infrastructure 
only has to learn from your data model, not something you have to specifically write into your application. That's directly. right. Now, what also makes it interesting is that this is all discoverable as part of DDS discovery. So now you could not only discover the data type, but you can also discover what, uh, what the metadata uh, in fact, you know, and ranges and mm -hmm. default values and so on are. So this well, that actually leads to kind of an interesting question, though, right? You can discover these things. Right. DDS is about this data bus where anything can talk, publish, subscribe, and you can find out these details that are fairly intimate about each of the of the nodes. How do you prevent that from happening, though? Right? If you're going to bring this into your system, right? So this is where the DDS security specification comes in, and that's also uh, you know there are uh, updates to that and. Essentially, this is a converged release which will have uh, DDS security spec, uh, the secure DDS specification implemented in uh, Connex uh, Pro as well as uh, Micro. Micro. Yeah. Um, so, uh, and the DDS security specification essentially talks about uh, how you authenticate before you join mm -hmm. uh, a DDS domain. So it's you know, uh, and, and so. To be able to discover, you have to be able to join that domain. To be able to join that domain, you have to have the right credentials, which are described as X509 certificates in the DDS security spec. Right. One of the nice things of the of the security spec that we have been supported in the product as well since uh, last release 530. Well, we supported before, but last release was uh, kind of the, the big one and where we introduced secure DDS. So it's, a, it's, a, it's your capability of securing specific data flows. Mm -hmm. So you don't secure the pipe, you don't secure all the communication uh, that goes on the network, but you just can secure individually uh, different... And this, this came up with some like our healthcare customers, right, where they yeah. have PII, patient identifying information. Anything that has that data inside of it needs to be encrypted, authenticated, because it HIPAA rules. But other types of data, like say waveforms or something that's high sensor reading that doesn't have that person's information in it, doesn't have to because it's coming at such a rate that the encryption yeah. cost may be too much. And that ability to choose when and where actually is fairly important and why you want to go with something that's on a, on a data flow yeah, basis. Yeah, absolutely. For example, if you have high frequency data, you may choose to just sign it and not encrypt it, whereas you know commands and so on which uh, you know, may, may require more confidentiality. So you can control on a per data flow basis, as Fernando said, uh, you know, the encryption. Mm -hmm. The other thing is you can have very fine-grained access controls. You could, you could say that you know, this application or this participant can only write to these topics, and this one can only read from these topics. And so you might say, well, a sensor cannot write command data, right? So, and so if even a sensor got compromised, it cannot introduce command data. And command data would also be encrypted, whereas the sensor data so the high-frequency sensor may just be signed, right? So you could put fine-grained security controls like that, and as Fernando was saying, you know, it's really about securing the data, not just securing the pipe, which is where sort of traditional approaches has been. And I think this is probably the only specification that goes at that level of fine-grained. Right. Uh, yeah, and, and coming back to the kind of to the big challenge that we mentioned at the beginning, that is a scalability challenge. So, so that's kind of one more thing to worry about, mm -hmm. right? So, how do you secure your data and you do it in a scalable manner, right? Mm -hmm. So, one of the things that DDS Security is is introducing is the capability, for instance, of doing secure multicast. Okay, so how do you send securely uh, the data to multiple subscribers at the same time without making individual copies? on the network, right? Which so, you can't do with any of the DTLS or TLS that's out there today. Right, right. So, and, uh, I mean, when you put all these together, I think you right. just realize of how complex mm -hmm. uh, it's just to 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 architect an IIoT system, right? Absolutely. So, and all the challenges right. that are associated right. with that. Right, and that goes back to the scale part of it. So, again, 
you know, it's it's bringing together the things we're talking about in the beginning, you know, the performance, the scalability, you know, the fault tolerance and the availability, the security, you know, to, so that you can build trustworthy systems, right, that, that not only are safe and secure, but are also resilient and reliable and also give you the level of privacy controls mm -hmm. that you need. And this is something critical that all industrial IoT systems need. Okay. So... You both are clearly passionate. What gets you excited about <laughs> Connext and DDS? Well, uh, it's cool. <laughs> uh, you know, and it works. And it's, it's fun to work with. Uh, you know, and, and it's just fun to be able to take problems that I don't know otherwise how you would actually really tackle in a way that um, is practical. I mean, you know, I see a lot of people doing toy projects and research projects. And, uh, and so, you know, Jim, but how do you go from there, where you've sort of gotten this, hey, this cool little thing working, to something that you can actually deploy so that people can depend on it and life depends on it. You can sell it. And, and, and you can sell it, right? In a repeatable well, way, Well, people yeah. can sell all kinds of things, yeah, right? Sure. Depends on how good of a salesperson you are. <laughs> but, you know, so that we can depend on it in a way that it becomes almost invisible in our day-to-day -day lives, right? And, and being able to do that and having a technology that gives you not only... Uh, the ability to do R&D and quick, rapid innovation and development, but also to be able to take that same foundation and the same architecture and then apply it for production systems and build architectures that actually will survive at scale, be trustworthy, and actually uh, be something that will be part of our day-to-day -day infrastructure and daily fabric of life. I think that's what's really the exciting part of this technology. And that's really, I think, for me, I find it just, uh, you know, uh, exciting and empowering every day to be able to work with this. Uh, and the people, of course, uh, in, at RTI that, that are just amazing. Fernando, uh, yeah. make this. No, to me, I mean, I, th I think Rajiv said all, right? So I think to me, it's, uh, it's, it's kind of, it's a fact that I think first, I move myself a lot by motivation and by challenge, by challenge, and we are working on a complicated problem. So this is not something simple, right? So, so that that complication makes with the fact that it can be applied to so many use cases, and you can get familiar with all these many industries, okay, that you're not familiar with, like it could be healthcare and now autonomous driving, but it could be financial or it could or be hyperloop. Uh, <laughs> hyperloop. I mean, all these kind of new things, right, right. that are amazing, right? So right. How, how, how things are evolving. So that's what really um, motivates me and what really I, makes me... I think me, what's me, interesting me about, about the two of you, at least, right, Rajiv, you've been at RTI for 20, yeah, about, about 20 years? About over 20 years, And yeah. Fernando, you have at least 15? Yeah. Four, uh, I think it's 14. 14, yeah. okay. I think it'll be 22 for me in December. So both of you have been there from the very beginning of DDS, when it was before it was even a standard or as it was becoming a standard. Yeah. And now I've seen it evolved. And the size of the systems, I think, have grown as well. So you got this unique perspective that sees, like, all right, this, this thing is making it out to bigger and bigger and more and more use cases. So it's interesting that you still have that passion after so long because it's, it's, that's a long time in Silicon Valley. Yes. Yeah, it is a long time. But um, I think we are kind of on... I mean, if I have to pick one moment, I mean, just to be at RTI... I mean, I think it will be this one. I mean, it's, I don't yes. know what you think, Rajiv, but... I think so. I think we are, I feel like at an inflection point um, in the way uh, the technology has evolved mm -hmm. um, and also where the industry is going, you know, and, and with all the stuff that uh, you yeah, also participate in the IIC, you know, and, and all the developments that are happening at the industry level. Um, 
And I think the technology now is mature enough. Uh, it is at a point where I think it brings together uh, uh, enough number of things that, you know, it's really solving some really tough problems. And there's really no other technology like it out there, uh, just plain and simple, right? Uh, and as a plus, I think you can yeah. also talk to your family about that. <laughs> That's right. That's I mean, right. That, that was difficult yes. before. It was a challenge. The yeah. mom test case, never yes, was yeah. so, so just difficult. Say, well, yeah. What do you right. do? I mean, right. we just send data from... I think my wife is right. getting there. She's almost there and understanding exactly right. what it is we do at RTL. Yeah. yeah, but if you think about it, you know, human society is really about communication, right? And now when we talk about IoT, we're talking about the Internet of Things. Right, so the endpoints are not people, now it's machines and you're taking the humans out. Mm -hmm. And so you're starting to build systems that are autonomous. And when you talk about autonomy, you know, you have to move up the connectivity stack and the notion of what we would call, you know, uh, technical interoperability where, you know, it's really the human language at the endpoints, right? Just like a telephone, it's sufficient. But when you start to build algorithms and, and components that mm -hmm. don't understand that common language, you have to build that common language in the architecture, and that's what syntactic interoperability is. And that's the foundation that DDS gives you because it build, give, uh, allows you to build around data, right? Same thing with databases and other things. So that's, I think it's just pushing the, uh, uh, you know, uh, pushing the envelope further in terms of the evolution of technology, because I think this is a key enabling technology for, you know, essentially everything next generation, you know, uh, really industrial IoT and whatever, uh, wherever it takes us from there. So, you know, uh, if you watch any science fiction movies or Star Wars, you know, I like to imagine, you know, how do you build that architecture that, that you see in Star Wars, right? And you need this type of a foundation uh, to get there, right? So, so um, thank you for listening. If you want to find out more information, you can go to our website at www.rti.com and there's a blog post uh, from Bob Lee announcing Connect6 which will also have links to the product page and to the What's New datasheet which describes a lot of the capability we just talked about today Rajiv, Fernando, thank you Thank you, thank you. thank you for having us Yeah, thanks Rajiv and Fernando, thank you very much for that terrific discussion and thank you to all the listeners out there for tuning in Join us next week as we talk to RTI's oil and gas industry expert, Mark Carrier. If you have suggestions or feedback on this or other episodes, please contact us at podcast at rti.com. Thanks and have a great day.